Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hala Hala Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Kuya! Welcome back from that holiday break. I hope you had a good one. I just have to say that with the new year underway, we have started a new tradition here at the Hala Hala podcast, which is basically back to the vault. And this Back to the Vault is going to be dealing with the dawn of reality television. And then later on, we're going to segue into Filipino influencers. But before we do that, Sigs, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture wise? Well, the Christmas break was crazy, but I'm just trying to choose one of the pop culture things I did. I saw, and I hope you were, it's in your queue, I watched The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. That is in my queue. It's Kaylee Cuckoo or Coco. Kaylee Cuoco. And Kaylee Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory is the lead role in this comedy thriller. I would say a bit more dramedy. She is a flight attendant Mm. who is just a party girl. It's just she sets herself up and she goes away for a weekend to Shanghai. She's working. She meets a gentleman on the plane. Flirtation. One night stand. Wakes up the next morning and he's dead beside her. Oh, dear. And she's trying to piece together the whole mystery of like, how is this guy dead? Oh, gosh. The premise sounds, oh, okay. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. She's absolutely grown from, like, she's not Penny no more. She's not the kid from um, the show with John Ritter. Right. It's really engaging. It's very stylistic. You love the landscapes. It's gorgeously shot. The style is beyond. Like, there's split frames going on. There is Rosie Perez is in it. George T.R. Knight from Grey's Anatomy. I'm like, where have you been? But you're here on the show. (laughs) And he's lovely. He plays her brother. And her best friend is played by the gorgeous Zaja Mamet, who's the daughter of David Mamet, who's from Girls, and she's the lawyer friend that really helps her out through this. It is only eight episodes. It dropped like a fiend. The first three episodes dropped one week, two episodes the week after, two more episodes, and then one episode left. They packed it in for the binge watchers. Only stretched out within like three weeks and the whole show shebang. Kuya, it's a ride. It's very interesting. I think Kaylee Cuoco has grown as an actress. Yes. She almost had shades of Aniston, but with herself dealing with, like, she does have a drinking problem, and there's mysteries about, like, her childhood and how she dealt hmm. with this. And this dead guy popping up all the time, engaging her, like, you need to solve this murder. And I'm not going to spoil it too much, but there is a character who you'll be like, I love this woman from a previous show that you and I talked about on the podcast. Hmm. So I can't wait for you to catch up and talk, okay, and talk about I'll it. Okay, I'll have to catch Super up. Super great. I'll have to catch up. Oh my goodness. Well, that sounds exciting. I am a little bit jealous because I haven't had much time for pop culture for these last couple of weeks. But, you know, that, no way. yeah, just busy kind of as we were getting to the holidays, just kind of planning for all of that despite the pandemic and trying to celebrate. Listeners, what you don't know is that each year my family plans a theme and it's usually around one person's idea and then everyone just kind of dresses up accordingly. And so we've had an online celebration this year, but this year's theme was a crown for Christmas. 
And Ooh, tell me more. Tell me more. Well, th- as I tell you a little bit more about that, what's really fascinating is this theme for Christmas, the invitation that went out to everyone said this. It says, a crown for Christmas, an online Christmas Eve celebration waiting. Christmas Eve is about Ooh. waiting in anticipation of a birth, in anticipation of a gift, and especially this year in anticipation of a vaccine. In anticipation of seeing us all together in one place, let's wait. Like we're waiting for the three wise men to come and deliver us the best gift of all. <laughs> so December 24th, 10.30 p.m., Zoom online, more details to follow. And so that's what we were very busy planning and why I haven't had much pop culture in my life. And then also, too, I've been doing a bit of professional development. I've been taking a number of different legal courses just to kind of inform mm. the work that I'm doing right now. And so I've been busy reading, reading, reading. That's what's also kind of consumed me. And then trying to just kind of be still. That has been Were you able to get some space for yourself and Mish during the holidays? Yeah, yeah, you know, and so that's, nice. that's kind of been the focus. So that's why I haven't really, I guess I've had a bit of pop culture fast this last couple of weeks. Like <laughs> I just think to myself, new year has started, a new year, a dawn of reality television, very much kind of like what today's topic is. When I think about reality television, I know that it's typically... This genre has started in the 2000s, but it actually started before that, right? When I think about reality television, there are some really early MTV shows. And I don't know if you remember those MTV shows. I do. And I agree with you. I remember during a Christmas in the 90s, I want to say there was a ninth or 10th grade on YTV. There was a marathon showing of real world New York. Mm. And that was my introduction to reality television. I'm like, oh, this is like they're filming them and they're living real life. And when I think of that dawn or whatever, it came full force in the 2000s. But I remember that very, I was so in- intrigued by it. I'm like, what is this? What's, and I'm intrigued by it. This is everyday life of these, you know, eight strangers living in a house where things get real, you know? So that that's what I think of too well, at the beginning of a reality television. I think the same thing too. I mean, you know, my early memories of those early 90s shows, although that wasn't really the dawn of reality television at that time. And again, to Mm. our listeners out there, I think, you know, most of popular culture agrees that it started in the 2000s. I remember MTV Real World as well as MTV Road Rules. And, And the reason why I remember them is every Labor Day or most Labor Days, we would travel down to go visit family, friends and family in Michigan. And then, of course, we would be there just as Labor Day was starting and there would be constant marathons, constant marathons on MTV where you would watch like MTV Real World San Diego and then it would be like episode after episode after episode and then my parents would be calling saying, we're going shopping! And I'd be like, I'm busy watching an episode but you gotta come! Okay, but like... I remember watching that and then really being taken in by road rules and how everyone lived in a van and then drove to different places and then competed against each other for whatever the prize was. And I can't even remember what the prize was. It would depend. Sometimes it was money or sometimes it was a big trip. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, and I remember the real world being big, talking a lot about kind of social issues. I can't remember the one character that was HIV positive, but I remember... Pedro Zamora. Yeah, Pedro. I thought it was Paulo or something like that. But anyways, Pedro. And you're so Mm -hmm. great 
great at all the details. <laughs> I was just going to say that I remember that was big. That was big in the 90s, especially as HIV AIDS and research funding started to kind of come into full force at that time. And that they would be talking about lots of different kind of clashing issues and getting people from different parts of life, as you say, kind of like experiencing the real world or real life for that matter. But it does make me kind yeah. of ask the question, what is reality television? Mm-hmm. And I know that these two shows, Real World and Road Rules, are precursors. And I think when you think about reality television, you would think that they're news or docu-series or talk shows Mm -hmm. or sporting events or game shows. But interestingly enough, even though they happen, quote-unquote, in real life, it's actually not considered reality television. Oh. Yeah, and I think pop culture scholars would probably tell us that usually pop culture reality television starting from the 2000s on are really unscripted real-life situations with unknown individuals. When you think about that, it's like, okay, like that kind of applies. Like there's a lot of people for the first time that are on television that haven't acted or anything like that. That's right. But I would probably say that I kind of divide reality television shows into three further subgenres from what's just been described. And I kind of think about them in terms of competition shows, unscripted life, and then the last category being make better. And so, Ah. yeah, like that's kind of how I think about it. I think the last time I looked at some of the quote unquote literature on this, it had talked about how there are eight and nine genres, but I just think, yeah, but I think really those eight or nine kind of distill themselves into these three types of reality shows, competition, unscripted and make better. And when I kind of think about competition shows, I think about kind of like Survivor, American Idol, Bachelor, Amazing Race. Again, the unknown individuals and the the common element in all of them is, is that they are competing for something, whether it's like to be the sole survivor or to be the most talented person on American Idol or to win a chance at love, you know, and marriage <laughs> or a proposal or whatever, or a rose. But people are eliminated week after week and placed in supposedly real life situations, whether it is like a talent competition or a dating situation or a race around the world where you're like gunning for airplanes and stuff like that. Or again, living on a deserted castaway island and stuff like that. If you've got any specific memories or about those competition shows. I totally just remember Survivor coming out in 2000 because I think it was at the beginning of my career as an adult. Right. Just like it coming out and like the first season where, which was the most authentic Survivor, right? No yes. one knew about it. Right. And all of a sudden, wow, like that guy, Richard Hatch, winning a million dollars. And I think it's the same with like American Idol where Kelly Clarkson is the American Idol. She is. At the beginning, she is the American Idol. Yeah. And like, You can't fabricate it. There's so many seasons of The Bachelor and Survivor and stuff like that. I mean, they're they're thinking of innovative ways to make things new. But I always think of the OG. I'm like, no, those are the original people. Like, that's – it's so great. And even, like, when you have newer ones, like The Voice, which came out, I'm like, that's such a great concept. Right. But after it gets – you know, you become a little complacent. Like, oh, it's out again? What season is this? Like, what season are we on for The Bachelor? I, don't, like I, can, I can't even tell bachelor, you. Bachelorette. I really can't even tell you at the at this point, and, right? Yeah. And it's shocking. And I think I was doing my – I was interning at Royal LePage in public relations with Tara during that time. Right. 
And I remember watching it. So this is like 2000s when it came out. And I was like, from there, I think there's been like 38, right? Like, or if not seasons, half seasons, which are split in the year or three times and all those spinoffs. It's so crazy how competition, everyone is out for that handsome reward. And like you said, whether it's love, a million dollars, a model contract with 17 magazine, like an American Next Top Model, or The Crown. Yes. RuPaul's Drag Race, right. I, I think the competition lives on, right? Everyone is out not only for that 15 minutes of fame, but for that, like, handsome reward. You know, I remember when Survivor was out, it was in the summer of 2000, and right. I just remember one of my friends, her name's Cheryl from Trent, when I used to go there, we were talking about it, and what she had said was it's like a great social experiment, like a social anthropology experiment, you know? And then mm. I remember watching it halfway through, and was like, what is this? And then realizing, oh my gosh, you need strategy, like lots and lots of strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. Like, the first... Lone Survivor is Richard Hatch only simply because it's like he had nothing else to base this on. And exactly. that is not to say that other individuals don't deserve their titles, right? But right. I would say that it was just as hard to win the first one as it is to win the current one right now. The interesting part about Survivor, though, is, this, is that I think a lot of people tend to think that it is the first reality show because there's been kind of spinoffs of that. But uh-huh. Survivor is actually based on the Swedish reality show called Expedition Robinson, which started oh, yeah? in 19... Yeah, in 1997, actually. And so Endemol Production, actually, I think it's Endemol Production, bought, actually, the rights, the licensing rights to basically take its concept and then, but Americanize it. And then there have been kind of spinoffs in different countries, of course, with respect to Survivor. Although there's never been a Survivor Canada. There's been like a Canadian Idol, you know. I was going to ask you. I, I don't recall it either. I don't you think You can't so. be sexy out cold I in the I guess not, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> I guess you could throw people out into the Northwest Territories or something like that. But I, I have a feeling like it's just not going to work. That would be a hard environment to survive in and test people. I, that's such a good point. I never even thought... Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen a Canadian yeah. survivor. Can you imagine like Survivor Victoria Island? <laughs> <laughs> survivor yeah, you, Newfoundland. You, you know? couldn't do Prince Edward Island, you know, or anything like that. Maybe yeah. Manitoulin Island, right? So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The other uh, reality shows that started to proliferate around about the 2000s are what I like to call the make better shows. And just as much as road rules and real life served as precursors, I always think that these make better shows were all based on that original make better show. Do you remember TLC's Trading Spaces? Oh, my gosh. So popular. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was like, what, 2002-ish? It was just the hype. 2001, 2002. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that eventually led itself to Extreme Makeover, you know, which I think was really what people think of as a makeover or make better show, as, as I like to kind of call it. And then, of course, one of my favorites of those make better shows was What Not to Wear. Clinton and Stacey. Stacey and Clinton. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I remember Michael being livid with that show because they were really tough with the people that they were trying to help, you know, and they were kind of... It's that mirrored room. It's that mirrored room, Kuya. It totally is. It totally (laughs) is. And I remember Michael watching this and not having any patience for them because he thought that they were mean. And I was just trying to point out what Stacey and Clinton had seen. I said, you know, like, they're not telling them that they're this or they're that or that they're somehow deficient. They're just saying that if you wear this with these particular proportions or this type of pattern, you're going to look better 
or you're going to look proportionate or you're going to look your age or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And so I very much enjoyed that show. I know Michael would be like, he would turn the other <laughs> way and be like, I'm going to go knit. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but I think the make better show for us that we very much appreciated was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And then they had like a little bit of a spinoff for a Queer Eye for the Straight Gal. And then, you know, the oh, Fab yeah. Five had like a bit of a gal pal along the way and they did that one in Los Angeles. But Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was mostly in New York City and it was with identified straight guys at the time you know and it was subject to some critiques in terms of like oh my gosh they changed their lives in like what looks like is supposed to be a day but it doesn't really happen over a day it happens over a week and then there was always questions about like how long lasting are these changes so it would always be interesting to see if they would do kind of like revisits and stuff like check that check in did you have any did like, they ever do that yeah they did it for a couple of guys mm-hmm. to me I think the proof in the pudding is this how long these make better shows kind of last for because at the end of the day like the metaphor for me is a makeover show is very much like just putting on lipstick but it doesn't make over everything and I think you know that was sometimes kind of like the false impression to some of these shows is that it would fix everything but it wasn't it was just kind of giving things a fresh update but it didn't necessarily mean it was changing giving you a new belief system or anything like that so did you have any favorite, like, make better shows in the early 2000s? No, but I would always love the discourse with my coworkers about, like, shows and stuff. And what made me laugh, and I had a boss when I worked in Quebec, and he just made me laugh because I think they're having this conversation of, like, when was the last time you cried? And my boss, I remember him saying, you know what? The last time I cried was yesterday. And it was a Monday morning. Right. And I was like, why? He goes, on Sunday before Desperate Housewives, there was a really emotional, extreme house home makeover. <laughs> and Ty Pennington made me cry because that family really needed it. And I was dying. Like, I held it in because he was my boss. <laughs> yes. But I was dying laughing because he was, he was super serious. He's like, you know, I did cry for that extreme home <laughs> makeover. And I'm like, I just turned my head away. I'm like, really? You did? But it was so powerful, right? You're, yeah. It's shocking because you make a good point about making things better. So these people have a new home with all these things. I'm like, but their jobs aren't improved. They still have many kids. They still have to provide. They still have bills to pay. Right. And stuff like, what's the sustaining after that? Like, this is great. They do need all those things, but... Those bills still need to be paid. I'm very curious, like, what's the after effects? Because, yes, it makes better at that moment. Yes, you have a bigger house. You have all... There are still things tied to it, right? Right. Like, you know, does that mean, okay, extreme house... Are you still going to pay our bills and our electricity bills for all this heating and all this extra cable and all these things? Thank you for the extra TVs and thank you for the... But are you paying the cable, like, for the future? Like, Or the electricity or any of that stuff. Yeah, and I think they're makeover shows. They're not necessarily make-better shows. Not all of them at least yeah. and the mm-hmm. impression is, is is that they supposedly make your life better but I don't think that that's true of all of them what I th- thought was always scandalous was years later I remember seeing some documentary or report on TLC's trading spaces and there was oh, yeah. that whole drama about Paige O'Hara you know, doing some type of risque show and then they ended up firing her and then they ended up having like the guest designers actually kind of do a bit of the facilitated hosting. But what was really fascinating was they really were only given like the weekend to actually make over their neighbor's room of choice. And sometimes they had like really wacky ideas and they just showed the poor worksmanship at the end of the day because everything was indeed brushed. And then what that ended up doing was some people had to redo the make 
over room in their house and ended up having to spend more time. Because if you recall, you know, that they were being like they were spending a thousand dollars or something like that at the time. And I just think to myself, so you wasted a weekend to then just eventually have to redo everything or or put things back together again. I'm sure decades from now, we're going to hear more about all of these different reality shows and what they actually did. I do have one question, though. I think there was a difference between, like, the trading spaces in, like, North America versus the Brits. Yeah. Sometimes at the trading spaces, like, those rooms are ugly. And they're like, oh, my God, it's so awesome. And one of my good friends, Erica, goes, have you seen the British version? I'm like, no. She goes, the British people are awesome because they they make these rooms and they don't like it. They're just like, this is horrid. (laughs) I don't like it. I'm like, that's better television than people freaking out of some tacky, like, jungle room. I remember seeing some of those. I remember seeing, yeah. The British was like, I hate this. It's horrible. And I'm like, yes, no one wants a jungle room. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) No, No. unless you ask for a jungle room, no one wants a jungle room. No, but it is true. I'd caught a few of those trading spaces in the UK. And that's exactly it. They would just say, they would cry. They would be angry. They would walk off the set. I mean, there was that one that happened in the state, the American Mm. trading spaces, where one person just started to cry. (laughs) She walked off the set. And no matter what Paige tried to do to console her, and I thought, oh my God, now. That's reality television. That is, is what the, I thought. That's what I want to watch. That is what I want yeah, to watch. Wanna, you know. Trading spaces, you damn bitch. You ruined my house. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. The third type of subgenre of reality shows that all got its start in the early 2000s. And again, some of it was actually precursored by MTV's real world are unscripted life shows. And, you know, some of those ones are like Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Laguna Beach, uh-huh. Hills, and especially those two. Like those two, it's like, is oh this God. reality or is this a soap opera, Scri- right? And, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Like it had like all the different angles. And then I just I remember th- realizing that, oh, my God, like that is a three camera setup. And you guys are sitting on a patio <laughs> and where the hell is the television and where's the boom mic? You must be using a scope mic in some ways to capture all of that talking yeah. and stuff like that. But what was really amazing was kind of like how they kept saying that these were unscripted, but they were purportedly <laughs> unscripted. Is you the and way. I, do you remember you and I used to do a bit like yes. in the car going, oh, can you imagine we're on the hills? Oh my God, I'm so upset that we didn't have dinner last night. I know. You know, and you'd be like, I felt upset we didn't go to dinner either. Do you know what happened? And it's just all this expository <laughs> that some of these spit out. I'm so angry at Heidi. But why? I'm angry at Heidi tell too. Tell me why you're yeah. upset with Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you remember when I was at the party, she put up those pictures and she's being shady about me oh, and I don't uh, do shit. I was with Spencer on the other side trying to calm him down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but Where I'm like, I'm seeing, uh, like, it was just so kind of funny. Like, you're so right. Like, just kind of revealing the expository. You can tell that it's like, oh, thanks for taking my call and coming to my party. Right. When it was like, exactly. OK, you knew the producers were saying you got to go to this party, whether you like it or not. You're contractually bound. And if you break yeah. your contract, we're taking all your money back. Exactly. Yeah. But I remember you and I just doing that bit when we'd be in the car, like going shopping. Yeah. And we're just like, let's Let's pretend we're on the hills. Oh, okay. Remember that party we all had to go to? Yes, I do and then remember we were that all party. happened to be there. I can't believe John got invited. He did, but he get, did invited. get invited. I <laughs> can't believe it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I just love it because you're just like, I'm up for the bit. I go, let's just do totally. it. But I just love the production value. Like, it was cinematic, yeah. you know, dramatic, Everyone, with the music selection. The music selection, that 
remember Tattoo, the version of Tattoo yes. by um, Jordan, Jordan Sparks. Sparks. Yeah, they did it like a slower. They did a When You Were Gone by Avril Lavigne. I think they did an umbrella version yes, that was slower they did. too. Like they did. It, well, and yeah, they were at a point where they could actually go to artists and say, we'd like to use your song, but we need you to kind of alter the pitch or do this or do that yeah. right? and stuff like that. And then I think that this is why I had such glee when they had returned the hills back, for, <laughs> you know, for like the hills. I don't even know what it is. Then it's not the next generation, but new beginnings or something like that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think though, for me, at least like there were very many different types of unscripted shows. I think my favorites were the hills in Laguna Beach. I know that there's different ones today, but I loved it just for like the cinematic quality. And I love the ending. Like the ending was kind of like, yes, you thought that this was all scripted and then you kind of zoom out and it's like, yep, it was scripted. And there was a lot of contrived scenes that were kind of going on and stuff like that. Did you have a favorite kind of like unscripted live shows in the early 2000s? I did like watching Laguna Beach in the Hills, but I think... I found links when the Kardashians came on, mm. there was some element where I'm like, I've seen this before. So another reality, well, a guest reality show, there used to be a show on MTV called MTV Cribs. Yes. And you'd go into famous people's houses and, you know, they talk about their houses. There was a great one starring the Osbournes. Mm. And what was great was Ozzy and his kids had this natural chemistry. Right. He would tease Kelly about, and Ozzy was hilarious. Like, hey, this is my daughter. She listens to crappy music. And then he went. <laughs> To Jack, and Jack was like, Yeah, sometimes my dad and I just chill out here. He has a smoke, and we listen to some cool music. And he was super funny. Kelly was super embarrassed. And you know, Sharon was just pepper and Pippa, like pepped up with her puppies. And yes. I think from there, they became the Osbournes, the show. And I thought, I don't know, I felt like Ryan Seekers had a vibe like, This is great television. Find a family. And what can we bank on? And I feel like the Kardashians sort of evolved, came out from that. They like, totally did. From that show. Yeah. And like, were. Uh, there were some were endearing. And I remember like when the Kardashians first came out, like Caitlyn Jenner right. from previously and Kylie and Kendall were babies yes. trying to earn like money for allowances. <laughs> right. And like, we all know Kim, aside from that sex tape, she was like Paris Hilton's assistant. Yes. That's like, right. I forgot it was about all that. Old school. And it was just that it was just like this dawning of this unscripted television. Cause I'm like, we're watching it, but I don't buy everything. Like, do they run into all these hijinks or, you know, did Seacrest say, okay, you guys are going to do this or they pivoted it towards that, which sort of links to that unscripted in quotation marks. And then again, like from there, Kuya, like what happened? Bravo. Like that Took show off. that used to just show law and order yes. suddenly became this channel that has what now? So many unscripted shows right. that we talk about, like from Below Deck, all the housewives from yes. Punta Cana to Pot of <laughs> Potomac, whatever. It's everywhere. Yes. And people are eating it up. And this is this reality that they want to live. And I think it's just so shocking where I'm like, whoa, this is, I can't even keep track. And when some people have asked us about our podcast, like, hey, are you guys going to ever talk about the housewives? And I'm like, I don't think Jesse and I have time to watch the no, housewives. There's too many iterations and variations and stuff like that. Yeah. So in terms of the housewives, I'm a little bit kind of afraid to address that franchise. Ditto. I, yeah. I don't think I'm too situated enough. Although, you know, who knows, maybe I'll find some time this summer and dive into it. But I think you're right. Like, I think in terms of some of those real life unscripted shows I think a lot of it has to do with yes the precursor were indeed the Osbournes which I have to say Sharon Osbourne was smart because she was the one that actually kind of concocted all of that I believe and was the yeah. one that brokered the deal saying I think people would want to watch my family I think Kim and her family Kardashians just in general 
yeah, I think you're right that there were some hijinks, there were some contrived stuff. And then after a while, I don't think they needed to do that because there was enough drama in their lives that allowed them to just kind of say and do and act. And then they just needed to be followed by camera crews and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But it is interesting that it's coming to an end. And so it's almost fitting that we're talking about this at the start of 2021. I think for me, like, it's interesting to see kind of like reminisce now kind of where it started 20 years ago and where it is today. And I think like we're still kind of stuck. Well, not stuck. We're still (laughs) with upgraded versions of the same reality shows. It is amazing that Keeping Up with the Kardashians is coming to a close, but Survivor's still going strong. They thought that they ended American Idol and then they rebooted it with with ABC and Disney and stuff like that. So we've got a lot, and RuPaul's Drag Race is still around to this day. For me... Like what remains is like the new queer eye, which I always think is interesting, right? Like I think that they probably heard the feedback that they got for queer after the straight guy. So now it's like make better with tears and a hope of change in their lives and truly working at Karamo, trying to make sure that he's also doing the interior makeover as opposed to what everyone else is just kind of doing the exterior makeover. And I think in terms of like scripted life shows, I tend to kind of gravitate still to the below deck franchise and uh, I just there's something about kind of this idea of being in a fishbowl like on a 150 meter motor yacht and I there's something (laughs) about that that I like and then the contrast between who they're serving and then the actual deckhands as well and interior crew and then the other reality show that we keep talking about that I absolutely love is Drag Race and I think that it's a competition show but it's about making their drag better which I think has always been a focus you know what are your mainstay reality shows in the present moment? In the present moment, you know what? I'm still missing the old school stuff. Mm. And you'll see our taste test is linked to this because I talk a little bit of America's Next Top Model, which I miss. But I want to thank you. I had never really seen Drag Race until 2020. Yes. And when we talked about it last season, about that episode, I was so intrigued. And I just have such respect. I, uh, The work they do, the artisanship, and the good work that they do. Right. Uh, having, like, people that have fought for the United States. And I just remember Jinx Monsoon in that season five where he mm. really connected with his partner and was like, I'm going to make you look good. And I'm going to make you feel happy. And I'm going to make you accept yeah. yourself and be free. It's just a really a great mess. I hope to find more shows uh, that just make people be their authentic selves. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's kind of like the feedback from all of this early reality show because there was a bit of, if there wasn't contrivance, there was this kind of false messaging. And I think they're really now trying to be much more in alignment with authenticity. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why we're kind of seeing what we're seeing. You know, so that's kind of like the development of reality shows. But what I also find interesting is the development of how these reality shows are also kind of creating platforms for social media and social media influencing. And I think specifically of keeping up with the Kardashians and Kim Kardashian being the first and as far as I'm concerned, original social media influencer. I think so. I think she embraced what a brand is. I think Paris Hilton tried to be like, well, I'm a brand. And I'm like, are you? But when you have the Kardashian, like, that's a brand. They've developed it. Did she insure her butt yes. her body shape? I think <laughs> they are business people. Totally. They have a brand, luxury. They're everywhere. The social media influence is huge. And I think with her younger sister, was it Kylie, was like at the top of Insta. Like she had one of the most shared pictures of her hair, like in, in the shape of hearts on right. Instagram and yeah. stuff. So I agree with you. Like they are 
influence of the media, they took it to the next level, not just on their show, but digitally. I think it was Kim that was the one that really <laughs> figured how lighting is so important to your social media presence and stuff like that. And then how suddenly, you know, if you didn't have great lighting, then of course that made a difference in terms of people liked or engaged your brand accordingly. And I just remember seeing them being covered on some show and they were covering them behind the stages before they went to some Met Gala show. And it was just fascinating to watch Kim take her camera, look at the light, examine the room, understand where to position herself. Like she knew how to take the right photo, get Kanye into the picture and then (laughs) cleverly came up with like whatever the hashtags were and then boom out there. And then people were like, where's that dress and how can I get that? And that's part of the collection and all that engagement really smart at the end of the day. In terms of influencers, how would you define what an influencer is? Well, I did a little bit of research on this because I was like, we're talking about influencers. And I had to like look up an article and I'll put the link in. An influencer is a power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with his or her audience. And I'll also say his, her, or their audience, right. his, her, or their authority. A following is a distinct niche with whom he, she, or they actively engages. The size of the following depends on the size of his, her, or their topic of the niche. It's important to note that these individuals are not merely marketing tools, but rather social relationship assets which brands can collaborate to achieve their market objectives. It's funny. I, I talk about influencers and it's a job now. It I have totally a friend a job. that works in a, a certain bookseller and they hire influencers. And I know that listeners or whatever, Kuya Jez and I are very Gen X. I'm like, I guess before you would call them marketing majors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And now whatever, it's such a shift. And these people are people we follow like in Instagram and Whatever they're using, they're linked to many different things, whether it's someone on Instagram or whether it's someone in um, a podcast like us or people that have like internet blogs, it's influencers in social medias. And like these people with these mega followers, these number of people, they have that outreach. Right. It's such a big field. I'm so amazed by it and like a big shift. Like I think that's how we're influenced in the future now with uh, with social media. It's such a big wide space. Yeah, you know, I think if you had asked traditional marketers their basic premise, they base it all on industrial organizational psychology principles. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, if you look, you know, marketing and advertising executives in New York City, you would find them on Madison. And interestingly that's enough, right. it was a number of different psychologists that actually worked on Madison Avenue to figure out how to very much influence people to buy things. And the way that they kind of created, if you will, influence was just kind of understanding how sexual appeal very much influences whether people are going to buy things or not. And so kind of arises the slogan of sex sells. But I think what's really interesting in the definition that you shared with our listeners is that this idea of social relationship assets, mm-hmm. where the ultimate objective is to collaborate and, you know, of course, do a bit of marketing for whatever the product might be. So it's not to say that sex doesn't sell, but it's interesting, too, that mm-hmm. what's now being added to the mix is how social mm-hmm. relationships sell. And I think that that's kind of what they do. Like when you feel like you're liking a Kim post or a Madonna post <laughs> or whoever post. You have some type of personal connection, personal relationship. We know that someone's just operating that account, but you can't help but think, oh, she sees me or that person sees me in terms of that. What I also like about the the definition that you shared too is, is that it's not about the number of followers, 
It's about mm-hmm. the number of engagement that you can get with people that are following. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just kind of like. It's about whether there's discussion created on the comment section and people reposting whatever it is that you've posted or retweeting whatever it is that you retweeted and stuff like that. I think that that's kind of fascinating. In terms of like social Filipino influencers, I know at the end of the day, and we're going to share this in our show notes here, that we've got a list of some of the top 20 TikTok influencers in the Philippines. But of course, we're not millennials. And I'm, you know, Sigs <laughs> and I aren't going to tell you, oh yeah, like we're influenced by some of these individuals. And I know that at the end of the day, the people that we follow very much reflect who we are. So I'm kind of curious, like what Filipino social influencers do you follow? Oh, this is going to be a great conversation with us. Some of the people I've listed, I've listed four, and I think you're going to share four too, are are people that I've connected through the podcast. Mm. And so uh, one of the first people is a gentleman named Eric Esteban, and he's at Miscellaneous Brown. Right. He has a podcast called Crazy Funny Asians. We've talked about him before. He's an actor, he's a podcaster, he's a comedian, and he's a creative. And through the podcast, we connected to him, and he's raised us up at the early beginnings. He's always liked our podcast, and he used to go by, he had like a little character named Mini Pacquiao. (laughs) And I was like, who is this guy? And he had a lot of jokes, and he did this like Mini Pacquiao bit. And right now, during what's ever gone on, well, what's been going on in the United States, he has been very, very verbal and sharing his thoughts as Filipino-Americans for Joe Biden Mm. in the election. He shared stories about how to support and what our responsibilities as their role in the United States, where it's important for them to vote and what issues are covered. He talks about COVID strategies. And then all along the lines, he raises other Filipinos up. So he has a great podcast and talks to Rodney Toe, John John Briones, AJ de Guzman. He shares his journey and he's done a lot of coverage. Really great guy. He's really interacted with us and he's like, you guys, let's we could do it up. It'd be great to like connect with you. And I hope that we, we will in the future. Just a lot of energy and just really out there. He's a father of two and he's doing great work. He has strong influence and he really reveres those who are working actors mm. and working comedians yes. who have come through the play. He's from Chicago and he just talks about those times. There's a lovely interview with him and Rodney Toe and how they climbed through the ranks and they were in a play together and he got such mad respect for it. And he understands the craft and he really supports other Filipino creatives. And for him, this guy in the United States knows nothing about us went in there it's like hey you gotta have a good podcast i love your stuff retweeting us and doing that great stuff it's he's a leader and he's willing to share and he he does what you say kuya like there's space for everybody there's space for everyone yeah i've I've listened to his podcast it's fantastic actually and really thoughtful too in terms of just trying trying to understand the comedic craft and talking to others and then also just kind of navigating that space what i find interesting is how bipoc individuals navigate certain spaces that are traditionally closed to Mm -hmm. them and then he just talks about it and is very kind of authentic. And so I really appreciate Miscellaneous Brown. I can see why he's on your list of Filipino social influencers that you follow. Who's on your list? On my list, I've got Catriona <laughs> Gray, right? Um, she was, uh, she was the former it. Miss Universe 2018. She's a singer. She's an advocate. She's a spokesperson. There's a number of charities that she uplifts. You can find her at Catriona underscore Gray. I just think that she's a wonderful ambassador. She might not 
be offering anything that I haven't thought about before, but I like the fact that she does it with style and grace and it's such a wonderful smile. That's why I follow her. It's always like a breath of fresh air when I do see her kind of pop up into my feed. Then she's telling me about some important mission, like a cleft nose and that we should really try to find funding for kids that deserve that surgeries that would help them have a better life. And again, very much appreciate it. I even think that she's done some cooking shows online and stuff like that. So I've been kind of pointed out to different directions on YouTube, but I, I think she's fantastic. This isn't at all any nepotism on this, is no, it? No, 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 ah! no, no, no. I'll, I'll say for the last one, I'll say for the last one is, in terms of my list of four Filipino okay. influencers that I follow, who's number two okay. on your list? Not that it's in any particular order, right? No, but the second person is someone I sort of, and I'm going to link to you, and you probably don't realize this, being part of this podcast, I really challenged myself either on the role of being an ally or really expanding my way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I found Gina Rossero, at Gina Rossero, through Filipino, just following those who are Filipino. And she's Filipino-American. She was born in Manila, Philippines, to a working-class family. She competed at beauty pageants at the age of 15. Mm. And she on March 31st, 2014, in honor of International Transgender Day of Visibility, she came out as transgender while giving a TED Talk in Vancouver, Canada. Mm. I'm going to include the TED Talk from March. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. You'll have to send it to me, obviously. It's 10 minutes. Folks, I want you guys to listen to it. She's the founder of Gender Proud, a media protection company that tells stories of the transgender community worldwide to elevate justice and equality. She spoke about transgender rights in the United Nations headquarters from the World Economic Forum and the White House. Gina's TED Talk just 10 minutes. She just talks about being her authentic self. She shows a beautiful picture of herself and she looks amazing, banging, like curvy. And she says, she shows that picture and she goes, I thought I made it there. Mm. And she's like, I didn't. She goes, I was born male, but no, I identified as female. And she found wonderful people that helped her participate in pageants as a transgendered person. And right now, She talks about her journey going to the United States, where she will be able to identify and be listed on her passport, her identification as female. Wow. Her story is fantastic. I think also, too, with the Times and just released, I think you guys would know, last month you saw Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. That's right. And I love the way that people are embracing and even just giving tips on how to navigate someone who is transgendered and how to respect them and do that. And Gina Rossero is Filipino-American that has been an advocate. And if you take a look at her feed, she has a wonderful interview with mm-hmm. Isabel Sandoval. Mm. She is cooking Filipino food and looking like she's taking a spot. And she looks like a queen. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm making kind of – and she's just <laughs> – bombing but she has a lot of really good information about transgendered people their rights and just getting that information and i think by being friends with you kuya and me learning about being an ally through this podcast and through our friendship it's nice to really find information and find resources and have someone an opinion leader and someone who can share this information and share her story gina is really interesting so i highly encourage oh i can't wait to start looking it is really good it's well done yeah and that was in 2014 and right now what's great about it she's like i'm doing this now because in the future there's not going to be a need to be a day for it to acknowledge transgender people it's just going to be the norm it'll just be the norm it'll just be exactly yeah that, that, it, that's she's amazing. very powerful. And so it, aspirational and so inspiring. And I think it's so on brand to us because I think you and I are very much, be your authentic self. Yeah. And she really does that. So at Gina Rossero. I'll have to check um, her Kuya, out. Yeah. who's on your list. You'll have to check her out. Yes. 
The next on my list is Peterson Vargas. And Peterson is actually the series director of Hello, Stranger that we had reviewed uh, earlier here on season three. And he's actually also the director of a short film, which I think is a pitch for a bigger film. But the short film is How to Die Young in Manila. A lot of topics have to do with being queer or being gay and stuff like that. I've just been following him lately. His voice seems really interesting in terms of what he's trying to put out there and really trying to dispel the ideas of what Filipino homosexuality is supposed to look like and really trying to break the molds or the stereotypes or the tropes on that. Yeah, so I think just really interesting stuff to say and I'm looking forward to what they're doing. They're working currently on Hello, Stranger, the movie. So if any of our... I know, I know, I'm too excited about that. I was just like, what? Hello, Stranger, the movie? Right, that's amazing. I can't wait. Like, you got to make it really fast. But but I I have to tell you, yes, a taste test is what I'm going to have to do. But the other is... Is, is that it's like, oh, I just wish you just did a series two, a series three, a series four, right? <laughs> I, I could keep watching these guys. You know, one of my favorite BL series there. You can find yeah. Peterson Vargas at, at Aware Wolves is his handle on Instagram. And I think also for you, Sig, Miscellaneous Brown is at Miscellaneous Brown. That's right. right. So that's for Eric Esteban. And for yeah. Gina Rossero, it's at Gina Rossero. So G E E N A. R-O-C-E-R-O is who you can find. I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to just let you know what who my third oh, go ahead. social influencer I follow is actually Mark Munoz. He is a retired UFC MMA fighter and coach now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, he's just a big MMA fighter that has re- since retired for the last couple of number of years, and I've always cheered him on every time I've watched UFC fights and stuff like that, which, by the way, we should really do a UFC. I was going to say that. Yeah, I don't think we've ever done anything about the UFC. We should talk we about the UFC. We haven't talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. At some okay. point. I'm sure there's someone in our listener universe that would probably want us to talk about that. But yeah, I just find him toughness personified. And I know that we had talked about Filipino masculinity sometimes being emasculated in a number of different ways. And I talked about it in that taste test of Big Little Man a while back in season two. But he's just, again, toughness personified and really humble, really great, and really kind of trying to teach people life skills through the coaching that he does with respect to MMA fighting. And you can find him at Mark underscore Munoz or M-U-N-O-Z. Who's number three on your list, Sigs? So about two, almost three years ago in December, you and I got a direct tweet from someone at Cambio and Company. Oh, right. And the co-founder and owner of Cambio and Company is named Jelaine Santiago. Yes. At Jelaine Santiago. We'll put these in the notes, I promise you. She's an entrepreneur. She's a writer. She's a leader. She's a learner. She's an online storyteller and an advocate for diversity mm. and ethics for business. She shares information, especially during this past year, resources about being an ally during the Black Lives Matter movement, shedding light through her company on the artisans in the Philippines who make jewelry for Cambio and Company. She's launched initiatives to sustain livelihood and support COVID-19 relief in the Philippines. Jelaine came out and said, hey guys, would you like to come to a little pop-up we call Filipinesque? Mm. Last December in 2018, right. I was. I said, hey, I'm in Ottawa, but Jesse would love to go. And you went. Yes, I did. And they were selling their stuff there. She is a biz- proud business owner, 
she handwrites when you buy something from Cambio Company, these lovely pieces. I got a beautiful necklace from my wife. She handwrites a thank you right. for buying it, yeah. and that was in 2018. And Wonderful work. I really highly recommend for resources regarding about being an ally, about respecting indigenous culture, about the Filipino culture itself. Yes. She sheds a light and she raises other Filipinos, creatives, business entrepreneurs, Pinay, Pinoy, Pinex. She's out there. She's focused us, the podcast, mm-hmm. and says, hey, this is a podcast to listen to. Or, hey, guys, this is a book I'm really interested in. It's these people that are leaders in sharing. And it's all about elevating, not being a, like succumbing to poppy syndrome like Kuya has talked about in past podcasts. It's just this great resource. And she's just uplifting other Black, Indigenous, people of color's voices with her storytelling and her sharing. It, she's wonderful. Jelaine, um, just a big shout out. It's great to follow you and see the resources that you share. She great, does great stories with the artisans and the work that's done in the Philippines to bring these lovely pieces of jewelry, the intricate details done. It's just, it, it's historical. It's finding a bit more about the Filipino culture. It's such an interesting what I, feed and person. What I love about what Jelaine does, at least in her social media feeds, is she really blurs the line between the global south and the global north. Ah. The, you know, that's kind of the way that I think about it. For our listeners that might not know what I'm referencing here, Global North are, of course, the traditional industrialized, westernized nations. So Canada is part of that. I would say, of course, most of Europe is part, probably a part of that. The United States is a part of that. These dominant westernized nations. And then the Global South tends to be countries like the Philippines and other what would be considered second and third world nations and stuff. But she blurs the boundaries and then makes you really rethink them in a lot of ways. And I've appreciated her, if you will, thought leadership on all of that. My final person on my list of Filipino social influencers that I follow is, is my cousin. Ah. Yes, yes, yes. So that's kind of where the nepotism lies. It's Randy <laughs> Turingan. He is a creative and I would say convener of communities. And depending on the community, he has a number of followers that he very much influences and discusses and engages in. And in fact, a lot of my social media ideas and understanding actually have come to rely on him to help me kind of decode what all of this means. So he's interested in vinyl, photography, mental health issues, as well as the cannabis industry. And his most recent jobs were centered in cannabis industry and providing information about the proper consumption and good consumption of cannabis and cannabis products. You can find him at Photo Junkie, as it sounds, P-H-O-T-O-G-J, rather, U-N-K-I-E. And he can also be found at vinyljunkie.ca. So that's... Um, yes, go ahead. He's cool. I have to say, whatever, your cousins, Rainy and his sibling, Chell. Yeah. <laughs> I just... They're the coolest. Super and I'm creative, gonna, I, yeah. I, I haven't really... I think Rainy and I have... I've met Rainy a couple times, yeah. but I'll say it on like recording live or whatever. Rainy, you are super cool. I've he's seen your cool. feed. And he's just... He has this beautiful smile on his face and he just has like an eye for creative. Like he's been part of all like these creative works and I'm just so amazed. Like, wow. So like, am I. Like it just... He's beyond cool. Like I, I have to say that. It's such a compliment. So, like, so am I. D- dude, he's I, a cool guy. You know, yeah. I just have to say... I am just slightly jealous, slightly, ever so slightly. 
really jealous of your ability to take photos and to understand lighting and stuff like that. Anyways, I'm glad that he knows how to do that well and very much appreciate him and always look forward to whatever he has to post on any of his social media accounts. Who's the last person on your top four of social media? Uh, my top four? Yeah. And certainly not the least. You guys have known her. She has been on our show, Mylene, and she's at, at I am Mylene, I-A-M-M-A-I-L-Y-N-E. You know where she was a guest and her host? She designed our logo. She is a creative. She's an interdisciplinary artist. She's a business owner. She was creator of our logo. Her feed showcases her art, her work, and she makes space for many people, including those who are Black, Indigenous, people of color. She brings attention to Indigenous culture. She shines light on other artists. She meditates on her journey in life, on her culture, what it means to be Benoit Panay, Panex, and the arts. And she creates this space where she really has these pictures of nature. She has like some fantastic things like videos on YouTube. Like she has themes of self-care, mm. having outlets during this pandemic. She's just a creative and uh, supporting local artists, just doing things on larger scales and smaller scales. Y- you have to take a look at her feed. She is uh, just an artist and she has such good social conscience. It's quite wonderful. Like she is a creative and I think I'm just really flattered because she called me and Jez creatives when we talked to her. So <laughs> to be, for her to consider us as such, like Mylene, it's such, uh, Mylene, it's such a pleasure. You, and we want you back on the show sometime soon. So we're going to, absolutely, we're going to we're gonna probably reach out after this yeah, episode probably, to right? see if you can come back on. Yes. But, her poetry, she finds those simple moments. She has these beautiful pictures of her in nature just to say, hey, like her feed would say, just take a moment today and just take a breath. And this is what I did today. And it's just, I find with some of the feeds or whatever, something personal, like when they share these type of things. And I yeah. think you probably feel the same way, like whether it be like athletes or your cousin sharing a little bit of a piece of their lives. And yeah. I, I, there's such bravery in that. I don't think people really realize that. It's not just for the pretty picture. It's yeah. just, I'm going to expose something about myself. And yeah. Maybe down that well, someone else, they'll hear an echo and say, hey, I feel the same way too. Yeah. There's a beautiful vulnerability that Mylene shows us in her feed. And I think she's a promoter of mindfulness is really the way I would kind of think about it. I don't know if she would consider that, but certainly in my kind of view of everything, she promotes just the ability to be mindful. And you're right, like Mm -hmm. who we follow in terms of our social media feeds and who we see as influencers is very much a reflection of us and who what we're willing to be influenced by whether it's a former Miss Universe to an MMA (laughs) fighter to a creative and convener of communities to promoter of mindfulness and authenticity as well as someone that really wants to help you kind of navigate the comedic space you know that says something about us and it says something about who we are as individuals and so (coughs) that's probably what I would hope our listeners take away is like you know I hope you all get to look at your social media feeds and just ask you what does that say about us. So I think that that kind of very much takes us in to the fixing of the week, which is all of what we've been talking about requires us to be good followers with respect to these social media influencers. But I would say that to be a good follower, you also have to be a good leader. And so this fixing of the week is more of just of a meditation or a question to ask yourself, which is, can you reflect on where you can provide leadership in your life? 
It doesn't have to be to a thousand followers, 10,000 followers, or a million followers. It could be two little people, right? In your life. <laughs> or seven little, you know, young adults or that ask me <laughs> questions about kind of post secondary institutions and what to do next and stuff like that. But where can you provide a little bit of leadership? Because I think if we can provide a little bit of leadership, we introduce our culture that much more into the greater landscape of life. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say before we kind of take us out, Six. No, I think that's a really good question and a a good reflection, a nice meditation for the start of 2021 for our podcast. Folks, we want to hear from you. Tell us who we should follow or do you know any Filipinos that we should send some light on? Mm. Tell us. Email us at holoholopopculture at gmail.com. Tweet us at holoholopop on Twitter or we're on our Instagram at holoholopopculture. Remember, rate us, leave a review. We are available on all podcast platforms. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chal Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again soon. Happy 2021, folks. Happy 2021. Can you imagine? I know. Season three going strong. <laughs>